All right, so welcome to Hunter's Quest Podcast. I'm here today with my guest, Mike Shea. How you doing, man? Hey, doing well, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah, man, it's good to connect with you. So, um, Mike is a editor for Field and Stream, as well as for Black Rifle Coffee. I guess you're the senior editor for Black Rifle Coffee, correct? Yeah, yep, yep. I'm uh, full-time with Black Rifle Coffee. We're doing, uh, starting an outdoor brand, really, uh, Free Range American. And so I'm the editor of that project. We have a website. We just yeah. started Instagram. Um, yeah, so it's it's working out. Yeah, and I was on there on the uh, Free Range American site yesterday, and there's like just a ton of really cool, interesting kind of from all over the place, different articles, but all really interesting, cool stuff. Yeah, man, thank you. I appreciate it. We um we throw a pretty wide net, you know. So we um just did one today on uh, Noveski is dropping on Halloween the Space Baby nine millimeter pistol. Oh yeah, I saw that on Instagram. We're into SBRs as like a lot of hunters are, as we clearly are at Black Rifle Coffee. Um, it's a rad, rad um pistol and so like we did a story on that and then we have history stories on mountain men like i've been writing a lot about elk hunting lately mm-hmm. so it's uh we, we we like to think we throw a pretty wide net and cover what guys like us want to want to read for know? sure man and um you mentioned elk hunting um you had a you successfully filled your elk tag this year huh I did. Yeah. Yeah, I did. I shot a cow with some buddies um, in an OTC unit in Colorado. And uh, man, it was like a long time coming. Like I've been basically elk hunting and doing uh, uh, and being a poor elk hunter and unsuccessful elk hunter for yeah. God, almost 10 years. Um, and various things happened. I, I got kidney stones in the woods. I got in the mountain on um, my first trip and my grandfather died i had to turn around and so um i fell in with a group of people who poached some elk which you know i wasn't implicated in that but like wardens were involved and i had to tell people what i saw and yeah. so so literally it's like been 10 years of shows <laughs> with, <laughs> with elk and uh this year i finally finally uh it like came through like a couple buddies from work and I were just like, let's make this happen. And yeah, um, yeah and, we, and it worked out. It was awesome, man. First, first step. So. That's awesome. I was listening to uh, the Lone Star Outdoor Show episode. If you guys want to go back and listen to it, episode 595 of the Lone Star Outdoor Show podcast. And Mike talks about that whole ego into detail about the whole experience with the kidney stones and the poaching and the, and everything. And so, um, I listened to that and, um, I, I had a similar experience. So I had my appendix removed and I had been drawn for a, um, a draw tag around here. There's a feral hog population in the, you know, like a national park or a state park down the road. And it's a kind of a hard ta- tag to draw. And I drew one and I had my appendix removed like a week before. And I was just like, I got to, I got to go anyway. So I went out there and, um, make a long story short. I, I burst my stitches while I was out hog hunting and didn't realize it. And I was sitting there for like a week, just bleeding internally. And like a week or 10 days later, like I was sitting there, like I couldn't like barely breathe or like move. My wife is like, 
I'm taking you to the hospital right now. And like we went, I had like a liter and a half of blood in my cavity and one of my oh. lung, my lung was collapsed. There was so much blood in me. And I was like in the hospital for like oh. two or three weeks after that, I had to have another surgery, like almost died. <laughs> and you had a similar yeah. experience where you like, were like blacking out, packing out of the, of your elk spot. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I, um, I started getting this pain. It was, I went in like three or four days before the season. Um, and I, I made like a classic rookie mistake cause I felt like I needed to go further and higher than everybody. So I was like nine and a half miles in like camped out at about 11,000 feet, like right on the timberline. Um, and the night before the season, like I went in, I was acclimated, like I felt good. I got this pain in my side and, um, it was unbelievable. Like I, I, I joke, like I broke bones that hurt less than I have. Like I rolled yeah. and snapped the ankle and it did not hurt nearly as bad as this, this pain in my side. And, um, I, I didn't know this at the time, but like for people who don't know about kidney stones, I honestly thought it hurt. Like when you went to the bathroom, right. like when like you pissed it out, yeah. like that was pain and that does hurt, but the real pain, the, yeah. the, the thing they don't tell you is when it's moving from your kidney to your bladder, you yeah. have this, this little bit of plumbing that connects it. And you have like on the imaging, it almost looks like a morning star. It's like this spiky little rock yeah. that's going through this tube. And mm. it literally felt like I was getting knifed to the side. Um, so I, I could do, if I did like downward dog, I don't know if you do know yoga, you do downward dog, like, <laughs> yeah. maybe like a Muslim praise. Yeah. <laughs> like that made the pain go away. Um, huh. but anything other than that, I was miserable. Um, and so long story short, I long, sorry, I froze, I thought I froze for a second. That's there. Okay. Um, but yeah, so, so long story short, like I got to this rock and started just throwing up as the sun was coming up. Like I thought Jeez. the cow, I thought the cows were going to walk in through here and I thought there was a bull with them. So I had this set up like on this rock and um, just started throwing up um, out, you know, 30 something times I counted it dry heats. And I found out later that when you're in like that kind of extreme pain, like that's natural, like you'll just start vomiting. People have head injuries do it too. Um, so anyway, I got to this lake and there was a doctor there, like wow. crazy luck. There was this fishing who happened to be a doctor and he, um, he did some tests on me and he basically said my appendix burst. Oh, um, so which is deadly. I hiked out. Yeah. 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 I had to hike all the way out by myself. I was blacking out, waking trail, like, like, right open the SOS button on my garment. I was like, do I hit it? Do I not yeah. I didn't hit it? Cause I thought I could make it. It was, it was, it was awful, man. It was Dude, awful. But, but it was cool because like flash forward to this season. And like, I was up there on the glassing knob with my buddy Hearn and Curtis. And like, I showed him the rock. I was like that crazy story. Like that's the rock. <laughs> like you, you could see it right there. Walked over and I took a picture on this six years later yeah um and i killed an elk nice man. so like it was um it was cool it was cool to come full circle but for sure man anyway kidney stones appendix like it's not anything i would wish on anybody yeah it's, no it's I, I had gallbladder stones too and yeah that is some of the most intense pain i've ever experienced in my life 
for sure. Um, yeah. And uh, random side note, but you mentioned also that the first time you went out, you got an in-reach message that your grandfather had passed away and you were really close with him and he was a World War II vet. And I heard you just in passing mention, I think he was in the Navy. Is that right? Yes, sir. What yep. what, sh- what boat was he on? Do you remember? Uh, yeah, I do. He was on the USS Alaska. Okay. Um, okay. So it was just... a, a battle cruiser. Okay. Was a, they only made two of them. They had three lined up, but it was basically like larger than a cruiser and smaller than a battleship. Okay. Just because I had a, um, a great uncle that was basically like a grandfather and he was on the USS Essex. And I just thought that'd be crazy if they were somewhere related to each other. But, but anyway, man, um, that's, that's, that's super cool. And, um, yeah, I, I got a chance to go on my first elk hunt. I was not hunting this year, but I was, um, I was with Dan Staten from elk shape and I was filming for him and doing video or stills and, um, elk hunting, especially archery is, is, uh, is tough, man. It's, uh, it's legit. Yeah. How, um, how'd you guys do? So we, you know, his whole thing is kind of like the blue collar, you know, public land kind of gig. So he, we went in with, um, landowner tags, but they were like the least expensive landowner tag you can get in New Mexico. They're like 1500 bucks. And so we were probably on one of the most challenging, if not the most challenging units in New Mexico, um, right outside of Albuquerque. He's, he said on his podcast, I'll just say it was unit nine. Um, used to be a really premier unit, but they over hunted it and now it's just highly pressured and, um, low density. So, um, we hunted super hard for nine days and we ended up, um, getting on a bull the last, the last evening, like an hour before sun sundown. And, um, he, he did get a shot. We got it on camera, but as soon as he released the arrow, it was a pretty long shot. And as soon as he released the arrow, uh, like we watched it in slow mode the timing was just terrible. The bull took two steps, like while the arrow was flying and it hit it right, like right in front of the rear ham. And we tracked that thing for like a mile and a half till it got dark. And we went back the next day and looked for so long that I literally missed my flight home. Um, tracked it for probably two and a half miles or something and just never, never recovered a man. So yeah, it was, it was a really good experience, tough ending, but yeah, that's bow hunting, I guess. Yeah, man, they're, um, they're tough animals, you know, like if you don't get it in that 10 ring, um, you're not finding them. Yeah, I hit I mean, one poor, um, and through the back straps mm-hmm. so several years ago, um, and it was a great experience. Like I got in on them real close. Uh, it was actually right after that kidney stone. Okay. And I think what happened, I left my good range finder in the truck when I got back from the hospital and I had a backup cause I, I didn't know. I thought I needed two of everything. So <laughs> couldn't find my range finder when I left the truck, but I had another range finder that I had zipped in my tent Yeah, and I zapped the whole at 30 and another hole at 50 and he came around 50 and I sent it and the left right was perfect, but it was way high Mm. right through the back strap on the arrow. Like I'm sure that elk died of old age. Um, he was fine. But then after the fact, I realized that backup range finder didn't do angle compensation. Uh, So that hole that was like a true 50, it should have been 30. Um, and I should have known that I'm not like blaming the gear. I should have thought all that through, but, um, 
you know, it happens, you know, heart and lungs and you're not getting an elk. <laughs> yeah, man. Um, well, they are tough critters, but congrats on the elk this year. Um, I did want to ask, um, so I saw also just as we're talking about kind of like current stuff, um, and I'm not sure if you can talk about it or not, but I saw some cool stuff on your Instagram about a project you've been working on with Terry. Um, how do you say his last name? Is it Huin or Howen? I don't even know. Uh, Huyen. Huyen. Terry. Yeah. 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 So I was that, a running them all last. Yeah. So can you talk any about that or just tell us what's going on with that? Or is that kind of top secret still? No, no, we can de definitely talk about that. Um, so, um, Terry is, uh, is kind of a legend. He's, uh, spent 19 years in dev group. Nice. Um, he spent like 20 plus years as a seal. Um, and then just before nine 11, uh, got in the green team and got on team six and did a variety of roles through there over his career. Um, and I, I met him through black rifle coffee. You know, we kind of, as a company run around with guys like that um met him at a at attack in san antonio and we just kind of hit it off i had no idea like about his career um and we started talking about elk hunting and deer hunting and we shot the course together and then over the course of that couple of days in san antonio like all these like like terry for backstory he's like five and a half feet tall like i'm not that tall and like much shorter than me yeah um, he's, he's Jack, but Jack, like, kind of like a soccer dad who you'd see at Home Depot is Jack, you know, <laughs> no tattoos, no arm sleeves, no earrings. Like he doesn't look like the way yeah. a seal looks more, but the stereotypical seal, not right. to lump them all together. So anyway, I just hit him off, hit it off with him. Like I would be with you. And then over the course of the event, all of a sudden these guys who look like seals who were like young and vascular and jacked and tattooed would walk over and be like sir it's a pleasure to meet you sir and shake his hand and walk away finally i was like like what do you do you know and uh he told me some of the highlights of his career i mean it's pretty pretty rad like he was on the jessica lynch raid mm. he organized the captain phillips rescue he wow. was one of the guys on a rifle that dumped three pirates at the end um just a legend and a great guy. And so we're, uh, we also have coffee or die within the kind of the black rifle coffee sort of media, yeah. um, franchise or empire or whatever you want to call it. And so, um, coffee or die, uh, now has a print magazine and we put together, um, this quarterly and we were talking about ideas and I just said, you know, I want to, I want to like do like the be all tell all on Terry and like yeah. his career. Cause he's just a really rad guy, like super unassuming, like very humble. Um, we, so, so anyway, this will be a magazine story that's going to come out in January, the coffee cool. and I print mag. Um, but we kind of road tripped all through Texas. We spent about a week, week and a half going all through texas and i kept telling him i was like man you should write a book like let's write a book like you will you know you'll, you'll be a millionaire and he's just like total silent professional he's like nah man i'm not i'm yeah. not doing that that's most not, of those guys are like that do. yeah um, yeah 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 absolutely so what'd you guys so, hunt it was, in it was texas? rad we just, 
What'd you guys hunt we in Texas? A, we did Sorry, this yeah, must be a lag. Yeah, I think so. I I live in the middle of nowhere, and my internet sucks, so that might be what we're running into. No worries. Um, so in Texas, we we hunted whitetail for a couple of days. Um, we had a, a camp, and a bunch, of, several of the guys had never hunted before, so nobody nobody connected there. And then we went to um, San Antonio to the Black Rifle Coffee Ranch, and we just did kind of a fun like target shoot with a couple of the guys. And then we went to West Texas and we hunted uh, Audad and Havelina. Nice. Um, and that was fun. Uh, Terry, I'm going to get into it in the magazine, but Terry's working with a ranch out there and they're trying to put together um, almost like a shooting hunting school for active duty teams as well as veterans nice. and people who want to uh, show up. So, so they're putting together this this kind of ranch program, I guess is probably the best way to do it. And so we kind of demoed it. Um, and it worked out like really well. Like everybody shot odd ads. Everybody killed javelinas. Nice, man. It was rad, man. That's cool. Is the odd ad hunt, is that a pretty fun hunt? I've never done that. Yeah, it's 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 an awesome hunt. Um, so the the rams are like are like very um uh are like hard hard to find not not hard to find like you can get on them and get within rifle shot but to find like a really great ram it's you're looking at a lot of animals mm. um we were doing a call so we were shooting ewes mm. and they're everywhere and it's very possible to get within 300 yards of it so like if you're not picky um and there are just way too many of them. Like there's, it's, it's out. We probably saw a thousand on wow. ad in four days. Um, so if you're, if you're going into it as like call hunt, a meat hunt, a get guys experience on killing animals hunt, it's fantastic. Um, yeah. If you're going for like a 32 inch or 34 inch ram, then it's a different story altogether. Cause you are looking at a lot of animals covering a lot of ground for um, sure so it's it's fun i mean i i do i'd hunt all dad again in a heartbeat and one of our guys um brady uh tatanka on instagram him and i were running around and he actually ended up killing a you with his bow oh, which nice. was awesome because all those cowboys like just laughed at us we were like <laughs> yeah we're gonna bow hunt they were like whatever bro you know nobody <laughs> can get within within 100 yards of these things and uh brady got within 40 Wow, and, and, and stuck one. So wow. it was rad, man. It was a great, great week. That's all. Do they eat pretty good? Yeah, they do. Yep. Yeah, which surprised me because that's another thing people say is like you can't eat all dad. But we pulled some of the back straps and like it was fantastic. Like, yeah. I mean, it tasted like a deer backstrap to me. Yeah, I'm pretty much convinced at this point. Like any backstrap from any animal probably tastes pretty good if you can cook it right and take care of the meat right. Yeah, exactly. I mean, um, that's cool, man. Well, I do want to, I would like to kind of go back a little bit and just hear a little bit of kind of your story and how you got started into the, the writing gig and, um, and, and like what kind of drew you to journalism and, and just a little bit of your backstory, if you don't mind taking me through some of that. Yeah, man. Um, no problem. I, uh, so I guess like going way back, like writing was the only thing I was ever kind of good at you know like or like at least like better than my peers so like i um 
when I was in college, I worked for, uh, I got a job at, or not a job, but I worked for the student newspaper. Mm-hmm. Um, and I did well on that. I won some awards and then I got out of college, didn't know what I wanted to do and started working for newspapers. And it, it was the, it, it was kind of the same story for a lot of years. Like I would get in, get hooked on a big project and write a package on a big project. Uh, usually would do pretty good. And then I'd move on to a bigger newspaper or a bigger opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, then I went to grad school in New York city. The bottom kind of fell out of the newspaper business around like 2010 ish, 2008, yeah. 2010. Um, so I decided to bail out for grad school and uh, I started, started duck hunting at that point and was just eating up with it. I didn't, I didn't grow up hunting. Okay. And uh, it was in grad school that a buddy came to our workshop and was like, uh, outdoor life is looking for an intern. Hmm. Um, you know, maybe you should apply for it. And so I, I applied and I got it. Um, and outdoor life and field and stream were owned by the same parent company that happened to be in like lower Manhattan. Um, mm. So that kind of started this long relationship uh, for them. I don't really work with them much anymore, um, but for a while there, I was uh, editor at large at Field Stream, and I was a staff video editor for a little while. I oh, edited nice. like special sections for a little while. So I sort of. I guess I've always kind of wrote and then I got so hooked and obsessed on the hunting thing. That's all I wanted to write. And then it got into the field stream outdoor life kind of, uh, uh, edit side, if you will, did that for a while. Um, I was only a staffer there for about two years, way back in the day doing video work. And then I freelance for him for a long time. Okay. Um, and it really worked out well because I could pick and choose my trips. I could freelance for like corporate clients so I could still pay the bills. And I really just kind of did the freelance writer thing for a long time. Um, and like it worked really, it, it worked well for us. Like even being in New York City, we were able to save enough money to buy a place. Um, so we moved here to where we are now in upstate New York. Um, I actually, like I was telling you before we started, I was on a deer lease about 40 minutes from here. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of how we found this area. And um, we came down the driveway and it's like, it's 40 acres. There's three buildings on it. Like our nearest neighbors, like a half mile away. I shoot rifles in my yard nice. and it was just like, holy like we can afford this you know and um it blew us away and so we made this big move out here to the middle of nowhere um in rural rural new york and um it's been great you know i have this office here where i can test guns i can shoot bows i mean i have a hundred yard bow target in my yard that's awesome so it just made a um it just made you know, like we I've been able I've luckily through freelancing and now with what I'm doing at Black Rifle Coffee sort of make like my hunting shooting interest my kind of professional world and like this spot in the middle of nowhere even though I got laggy internet like it's it's given me like this lab kind of do all of this stuff and yeah. and 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 kind of chase the outdoor content that I like so much yeah that's perfect man um, so semi selfish question but what kind of uh because i know the the there's a lot of opportunity right now for um writing and content creation 
you know, especially with like, it seems like every, every company now, you know, wants articles and blog posts and whatever for their website to, you know, increase their uh, search engine optimization and whatnot. Um, but what kind of like advice, I guess, would you give for guys getting started out that want to kind of break in and get their foot in the door into writing some articles and stuff like that in the outdoor space? Yeah. Yeah. That's a good, that's a good question. I get that a lot. And, um, I think the, the, the big thing you have to do is like, you have to, you have to write, like you have to get that stuff down. So like whether you're sending it to somebody and it's getting published or you're just doing it for yourself, like you have to kind of use those muscles. Um, also like, I think a lot of people think of writing as like, um, in art or like something that's like inspired. So like the spirit moves you and then you write about this great elk hunt or whatever. Um, and I sort of resist that notion because it's very much like a craft. Mm -hmm. Like there are rules to how sentences and paragraphs and sections hang together. And you have to, I think I, the, the best writers take an interest in that almost like the mechanics of mm. it. Like I, I, I kind of beat up this analogy where it's sort of like whatever you think or feel or aspire to have a water pump do, it doesn't fucking matter. Like the water pump needs to sit in the engine a certain way. So the engine runs Yeah, and like how a story works, it's that concrete, like does the, the work hang together in a way that communicates the idea. So the story works. So yeah. the story runs, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of like books on grammar that you can get into, you know, there's a plugin that we use a lot of called Grammarly. Um, yeah, I've heard of it that. plugs right into a work. I, I hook all our writers up with it because that's just like one of those foundational things. Um, that it's got to be right. Like, so the guy could have the best story in the world, but if they send it to me and it's like a mess on a sentence level, yeah. like it doesn't matter that you kill the bighorn. Right. You know what I, you know what I mean? Because I can't, I, nobody has the bandwidth to rewrite a whole um, feature story. For sure. Know? And the other thing too, and I know we talked about this and another point is like um, a lot of people who get into this. And I think this is sort of a, result of social media but a lot of people like want to tell stories about themselves yeah. so it's like i did this i did that. i i i i i well people generally speaking want to read about themselves or not someone else right. and this is sort of in contrast i think to a lot of the social media space because like we all are on Instagram. We all know that if I post a landscape photo, not as many people are going to like it as if I post a selfie of myself with a bow in the landscape. So there's almost like this mixed message of like people coming from the social media space think I need to sort of present myself as the hero of every story. But when it comes down to like website content or magazine content or book content, that's that's not quite, that's, that's not really needed. You know, you have to approach it or I try to approach a lot of it as like service journalism, like mm -hmm. you're helping people do something they want to do. So yeah. like one of our fitness writers, um, awesome dude, uh, uh, Todd Bumgarner did a DIY Alaska caribou hunt on the Dalton highway and hung it all together. And I was talking to him. And so 
the story that came out of that trip for us wasn't so much like his epic hunt and it was an epic hunt. Like it was a, it's a worthy story, but it's literally like a logistics report of like how to do this hunt. Mm-hmm. Cause like I'm a hunter, I have the means and resources to travel, but like, how do I even get my head around like hunting an ice road? And he's like, well, here's exactly how you do it with dates and regs linked out and everything you need to know that you're providing a service to a reader someone's googling dalton road caribou and they're going to find this document and you're going to kind of help them accomplish their mission yeah so it's kind of a mind shift from the way a lot of social media works i think but um it's not a it's not a hard one to make like a lot of people um will kind of ground that corner pretty quickly and then you know, they're in that, they, they can, they can get, find themselves in that sweet spot where you get to write about, you know, what you, what you love to do. For sure. It's kind of like that. Um, I don't know. Have you heard or read that book, uh, story brand by Donald Miller? No. Okay. No, well, the whole, that, I the whole premise is like, um, most people like exactly like you just said, they want to make themselves the hero of the story, but what really connects is when you make your customer or your reader or your listener the hero of the story and you're their guide. Like every story has like a protagonist, hero, and a guide, like, you know, Luke Skywalker and Yoda. You know, you want to be Yoda helping Luke Skywalker yeah. make his journey, not like you're Luke Skywalker yeah. talking about your journey. Yeah, I like that. I like that a lot. I think that's bang on. You know, I think when we were talking on other channels, like uh, very similar, when I first got started at Field and Stream, uh, one of the editors there told me, said, like, imagine a magazine cover and there's like a, a, a Viper on the front, like this hot car and there's a guy sitting behind the wheel. You look at that photo of this slick car and this guy in it and you think that guy has a nice car. But if you take the driver out and it's just the car, the, someone looks at that cover and they think that could be my car, Yeah, you know? And yeah. I think that's a lot of story you need to do. You need to put the person in the, the headspace of thinking like, I can do this. For this sure. could be me. Uh, and it's, 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 it's a, it's a twist from kind of like the, Instagram culture, I think that a lot of us kind of operate in yeah. now. There, different different rules apply. Yeah, man. Yeah. Um, so th- you do video work too? Is that correct? Yeah, I do. Yep. Okay, nice. Yeah, I didn't know. For a long time. Okay. Um, yeah, I'm curious, like, what? Because um, uh, you were trained as you know, um, uh, you know, classically trained as a journalist. Um, and kind of moved into the outdoor space. But um, I'm always kind of curious, what was your initial draw to to journalism just on a person level? Yeah, um, so this is funny. I'm going to, this is going to sound super um, nerdy, but um, I, I, I have asthma mm-hmm. and um, I have had it my whole life. And I think it was 98, like I didn't want to go to college. Um, and I was, I was a f- perfectly fine student, but I didn't want to go to college. And my buddy joined the army. And so I went and I talked to their recruiter and they were like, you know, sorry, Roach, hit the road. You have asthma, you know, <laughs> so like, I got to go to college. Um, and 
So I went to college and uh, like I said, I've like, I won high school awards for writing and stuff like that. I always, um, I just, it just has always worked for me. And then 9-11 happened and I went to my college newspaper. I was, I think a sophomore or junior in college. And there was like this, we were meeting in like this cafeteria room, all these college uh, uh, editors and newspapers. And I was like there and I was all nervous and they were like, well, what do you want to write about? And I was like, I want to write about terrorism. And they basically like burst out laughing. They were like, <laughs> bro, this is a college newspaper. <laughs> like we're not, you know, unless there's something, you know, gunman on the square. Like, I don't think you're going to get to do that. Yeah. But I was just so like out of touch and, you know, I was just a dumb kid. And, uh, yeah. And so I just, I started doing for them. I started, I did a couple, um, environmental beat stories for them. And, um, you know, I just, I like the idea of like, I'm, I'm, I wanted to tell like those big stories. I felt like back in the day when that was happening, like it was a way I could kind of do my part. Yeah. You know, I covered the military for a couple small newspapers, you know, and, um, and it just like, I guess like the lifestyle and like my personality, like it just kind of fit. Yeah. Like, I'm, I'm like an obsessive human. Like I just like, everyone in my life accepts that about me now. And I do too. And so like, if I get into something, like it's hundred miles an hour, yep, you know, I'm the same. I, don't, I don't halfway anything. And this profession has enabled me uh, to go hundred miles an hour about whatever it is I want. And then I can produce a product on the other end of it. So mm. maybe that's, a magazine story or a web story or like the book I just wrote on rim fires. I got eaten up with precision shooting for like three years of my life. And because I know I, I know how to write and I have good editors and good people in my life. Like I was able to take that obsession and then package it into like, in that case, a book product mm. or in some of the hunting cases, like a video product or whatnot. So it's, I guess, I, I guess I'm, I'm lucky in that. Like I, I started like my inspiration, like it's kind of corny. Like I feel like a dork when I tell that original story of like why I wanted to write, but I guess like subconsciously I was picking a career path or a, a, a way of living that really kind of matched like who I am. Yeah. Um, so, so I'm grateful, you know, I'm grateful in hindsight. No, that's really good. And dude, I'm the same way. Like I get obsessed with something and I just go all in my wife. It drives her crazy, but I think you're right. I mean, you see a lot of these big time authors and like movie producers and stuff and they'll, they'll go on like a two year bender, like entering into some world and then they'll come out of it and be an expert on it and be able to share that with the world. That's uh, very well said. And I like how you're able to take that personality trait that if not harnessed properly can be a negative thing but if it is harnessed properly it can be really used for something cool so that's awesome yeah. um yeah. and my my story is similar so I, my background is like you know all in photojournalism but um i've always been drawn to cameras and stuff like that and um and outdoors obviously and wildlife and then i just love travel and exploring and discovery and all this stuff. So I, I was able to find this job where I was a full-time videographer traveling around and, and then became a producer eventually. But, um, but yeah, it's a, uh, it's a lifestyle for sure. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. 
And I think the guys who are like the best at it, like they kind of understand that, you know, like they're, they're capitalizing on some kind of quirk of, of personality. Totally. Yeah. No, I I love that. Um, so on that note, um, you know, black rifle is a coffee company and a lot of people, to be honest, even myself at first, now I get it, but would be like, okay, why does a coffee company have like this huge media arm and like, all oh, so, so like what, look, why, like what's just t- like walk us through that. And like, um, and I think it's important, but I just kind of want to hear from your perspective, like why that's something that's been such a big part of black rifle. Yeah. Um, I, I think it would be easy to kind of have a a business that's successful and like only stay in that lane and just, you know, only be a coffee company or only be a, 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 a military company or a veteran inspired company. But like the, the, the guys who started it, like Evan, Matt, you know, they're very savvy and they kind of recognize that, um, they have a they have this huge audience you know and they can show that audience um sort of almost like another another way of living you Mm -hmm. know they can they can basically um put out there the best of uh you know as we think of it like real american values like Mm -hmm. freedom second amendment and like access to um wildlife and wild places and really kind of celebrate the the american dream if you will um because like a lot of these guys like they they fought for that mm-hmm. you know and so like we think of, um of coffee or die as like news and entertainment for guys kind of on deployment you know guys okay. in active duty who are kind of doing their thing cool. free range american you can almost think of as a as a venue for people who are back on back home back on the home front so cool. now what you know what is that new purpose after service mm. that you can uh, uh kind of sign up for um internally at the company like a lot of our guys have found like a renewed meaning and renewed sense of purpose and almost like a a meditative approach in archery mm. you know so we do a lot of uh, uh, archery inspired events and whatnot yeah um which all which all go towards like helping uh, this community, this community of veterans and people who are pro veteran and people who are pro second amendment and just sort of like elevating the, um, the stature or the profile of these, these people and these events, um, yeah. you know, so like we sponsor like total archery challenge. Yeah. You know, that's the first time I fit for us. That's the first time I met. Uh, no, sorry, go no, I was going to say that was the first time I kind of ran into black rifle was at TAC. And I met uh, um, a bunch of guys out there. And anyway, so drank like a thousand espresso mochas and stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So you probably shot poorly because you're too over caffeinated. But a lot of people will say, you know, they don't. Uh, I've had people and they don't almost get that initially because they don't really know us and they think coffee and they think military, but we're sponsoring this archery event. But when you get inside the company, and as I know, as like you have, you've seen it now, like archery and hunting and the outdoors is so much a part of like the DNA of the company. Yeah. Like it, it makes perfect sense that we are sponsoring attack. And I think 
uh, free range American is a, is a natural expression of that. And like doing all of the outdoor media that we do is kind of a natural expression of the company, you know, yeah. like when Evan and Logan are not, you know, involved in the day-to-day running of a company, like much of their free time is spent thinking about hunting and shooting. Yep. So why not take that energy and, professionalize it and put it out there and try to bring all of the positive benefits of the outdoors to guys lives you know For sure. um it's, it's funny like you, i was in texas with terry and like terry was a, a dev grew sniper for most of his career and we were talking about it and he said the vast majority of navy seals have never gone hunting yeah. you know he said some of them where they got started never like before buds like had almost zero firearms familiarity wow. you know so like there's this um why not those guys have have done their thing for the country like we're 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 lucky to have have them they get out the other side of service like why not open these doors to yeah. them and get them to recreational shooting and archery and hunting yeah yeah, I mean, like I, I've said it before, and I'm in no way trying to compare hunting to combat. I know they're not the same at all, not even in the same arena. But um, when you think about like a backcountry rifle hunt or even archery hunt, um, it's for a guy who's not in the military. It's almost pretty much like as close to like a military operation as you can get to without actually being in a war. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't like, I don't, I don't have that experience cause I'm not a veteran, but like on this elk hunt, my buddy, Mike Hearn, who, who I went with, like he's active duty, like his, he's a, yeah. he's full time in the army right now. Um, and my buddy Curtis was a army ranger. And so the three of us were up there on the mountain and we're, we're making our food over fire and, and Hearn was like, I love this so much because it feels like deployment. Like all that matters is where I'm sleeping, what I'm eating and weapons maintenance. And I got to get the mission accomplished. And the mission just happened to be an elk. Right. And like, those are, I, I can see how guys who kind of became adults in that mindset or can get out and think what's next. Well, you know, an elk hunt or a mule deer hunt or a whitetail hunt may, may bring back some of those, um, some of that mindset. Yeah, you know? totally. At man. least, at least the guys I know really well say, say it does. Like, yeah. Obviously I can't personally speak for, them, but for I sure. can see how they're, they're related. Yeah, for sure, man. And, um, and just going back to black rifle, I love, love what you guys do. And, um, so I, I live in right next to Virginia beach, Virginia. So this is where there's a lot of Navy seals based here. I got several friends at my gym that are Navy special warfare. My hunting partners, ex Navy special warfare. Um, I've had a couple other buddies on the podcast who are ex seals and stuff. And, um, so I'm definitely interested in, in helping those guys out. And I love, I love that stuff. And, um, another thing I saw, like, so Baker sent me a big care package with a bunch of coffee and stuff in there. And like one of the, the packages I just noticed it said in the back, like uh, coffee for people who love America. And I was just like, that's so great because you know, a lot of these big name coffee companies that are just easy to kind of like fall into buying their products are very anti two a, 
you know, very against a lot of the values that we hold dear. And like, I don't want to support those companies. Like I'd rather support a company that's doing good stuff for veterans in the outdoors and stuff, you know? So. Yeah, Yeah, man. I mean, and that's the, that gets back to that question you asked me, like, why do we do all this media? You know, why do we have all of these media? And like, honestly, like we want to, you know, a lot of us want to tell like the good news of like, if you, if you turned on any of the cable news right now, you'd think, you know, the whole country's in the toilet, right. you know, bad news, you know, montage, but um, that's not the whole story, man. You know, this is a, it's a, it's a beautiful place where we live. It's a beautiful country and there's tons of these opportunities. So let's, let's tell the stories about like adaptive athletes or elk hunts or physical fitness or like, yeah. good food. And, you know, there's, there's a lot to celebrate. And I think that's kind of what we're, um, what we're trying to do for sure. Trying to get that message out there. Yeah. I think y'all are doing a good job. So I do want to switching gears a little bit um hit on your book which i just i've been oh yeah reading a little bit (laughs) um very very well put together book very thorough um really cool book for you guys that are listening and can't see it's called rimfire revolution um i mean it's just anything you want to know about modern um rimfire firearms the history shooting cleaning maintenance hunting it's all in here so check it out um but I, I mean, just to start off, just high level question. I mean, why did you write this book? Oh man, I think it goes into like that obsessive thing that we were talking about. Um, I did a, I mean, there's a couple, a couple lines came together, but the big one for me is I got a buddy um, down in Kentucky, Will Brantley, and he was always after me to go squirrel hunting with him. And finally, one year I did, we did a video package. I actually videoed a package for, for on X on squirrel camp. And the way Will and his buddies do it is they basically sneak through the, the woods in August and September and take anywhere from like 20 to a hundred yard headshots on squirrels (laughs) with 22s. And, um, man is it fun (laughs) like i it's like it's almost it's hard to it's hard to explain it i guess i tried in the book but really it's almost like still hunting deer yeah but you get really quiet you build a position like we came to use tripods and um set up on a tripod and you'll hear the squirrels kind of chap chipping away you know cutting on a i'd say a hickory nut or a pig nut and you'll get set up and you'll listen and you'll hear them running. And then eventually through the leaves, like your eyes will pick up like that tail going. You'll see them and, you know, you guess oh, it's about 60 yards and then it'll come out. And eventually you'll see them and you're in full camo, like up to your eyes, almost like your turkey hunting. And then you just got to kind of make the shot. And so he's bouncing through the trees. You get him to settle down and then finally you get can get that reticle set up. And then it's one shot. Boom. And, uh, you know, it's like sniping, sniping squirrels. And yeah. I interviewed a guy for a story who is uh, disabled. It was mm. actually the first one. I, before that hunt, I wrote about Ricky King. Yeah, I remember reading about him. Yeah, yeah. He uh, he hunts with a 17 Mach 2, which is a neck down uh, 22 to long rifle to 17. And he put a big 20 power loophole on it. And when I asked him, like, why he had that much optic on a rimfire, uh, he said, 
I like to count their eyelashes, <laughs> you know, and like that to me just summed it up. And so, uh, so I did this hunt with Will. I wrote this story about Ricky and I was like, man, this stuff is, is neat. So I went on a gun broker and I bought a old, uh, Anschutz 17 Mach II mm-hmm. German rifle. And, um, I set it up at 25 yards to sight it in and I shot and it was way low. The left, right was good. And so I turned it up, boom, hit bullseye. It was like, awesome, you know, put another one in, boom. There's no shot on paper. And I was like, shot again. And I'm like, rings are loose, you know? So I'm like banging on the scope, like <laughs> thinking it's, I'm now I'm missing the paper. And so I walked up and uh, pulled the paper. And then I realized like that was one hole in the wow. bullseye yeah. at five yards. Jeez. And like, you could literally take the, the rim from that rim cartridge and like put it through the paper and like hold the rim, hold the cart, hold oh, the, wow. the, the rim fire case in the paper. And I was just like, like I've shot guns and shot bows and do all of this stuff, but like that level of accuracy and like precision. Yeah. So I'm like where I'm sitting now, I'm in this outbuilding on my property and out the window up here is our wood pile. You know, we cut wood and burn yeah. wood for, all that there's a chipmunk up there it was 77 yards and i had this rifle and i kind of knew about what it did because i was shooting it at 50 and shooting it at 100 and i see this chipmunk on the top of our wood pile 77 yards of chipmunk you know it's like the size of this <laughs> yeti cup and offhand you know i got comfortable and this and cut that joker in half and i was just like so all of these moments happened and i was like this is so cool. Like, why is nobody talking about how like highly, highly accurate um, these little, little bullets are? Yeah. And then I started getting into the the target world of NRL 22. And those guys were certainly talking about it. I got talking with guys like Mike Bush at Voodoo who builds these custom rifles who are even, I mean, they're even sicker than the, the German stuff. And, um, yeah, I just sort of like I like again getting back to that obsessive personality. I spent like two or three years down this hole. I started running an NRL twenty two match. Um, okay. I was a match director of one here, and I just I loved it. And the whole time that I'm getting eaten up with this world, I'm like doing research. And I was at the time I was doing a lot of work for Field and Stream, and so I would make call like Savage or Volkortsen. And I'd be like, hey, I'm Mike Shea from Field Stream. And the gun companies, like, they would answer my calls. They right. would set aside time and answer all my questions because of the publicity that I could inherently bring if I sure. wrote something. And I wrote a bunch of stuff for FS back in those old days. But I had all of these interviews. And then I was spending all my free time in the internet forums, like, researching all the the little nuances of like, is it make sense to weigh your ammo or should I weigh it or should I measure contricity or, you know, all of the, the super nerd stuff I was doing. And so it was right. It was like the before Rona, I guess. So it was like the January before the Rona kind of took over everyone's mm-hmm. life. Um, I was writing for gun digest and I was at shot show and I went to my editor and I was like, Hey man, I want to take all this rim fire stuff and put it in a book. Nice. And he introduced me to the publisher, Jim, over there at Gun Digest. And I talked to him and I sent him an email and he was just like, hell yeah, man, this is 
this is going to be a good one. Cool. And, uh, yeah. And so I got, I spent all most of last year writing it and then it just came out in, uh, I guess this summer in yeah. July finally came out. Yeah. There's a, there's a line in here that stuck out to me. You're saying, um, well, first of all, you said when you're talking about that chipmunk, you said <laughs> reaching out and touching tiny targets with the miniature bullets felt like something like a religious experience. <laughs> <laughs> and then you said that year squirrel hunting ruined my deer hunting, duck hunting, and almost my marriage when the wife clued into what I was spending on rifles and hard to find expensive 17 Mach two ammo. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And definitely I know, um, I know that feeling with the wife when you get, a uh, like for me, it's been, you know, buying all this lightweight backcountry gear and stuff like that. And this is like having stuff shipped to my office, not to my house. So she doesn't know everything, you know, so that's, uh, I feel your pain there. <laughs> yeah, man. I had a, I had a real moment like that. None of that is fabricated. Um, I would, I got hooked on gun broker and it got bad. Cause I'd be like, Oh, 500 bucks, oh, 700 bucks, you know, like yeah. this isn't and then I'd get caught up in it and I remember one night like I was on my phone in bed and I was just like she heard me groan and she was like what is it and I was like I swear I'm gonna delete this gun broker account and she was just like <laughs> it was like uh you know a degenerate gambler or yeah, something. an addiction so so deflated that uh you went and bought another gun oh my oh. goodness um yeah, guns are hard to hide though, so I haven't been able to get away with secretly buying guns yet. But I'll figure out how to do that one day. <laughs> yeah, 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 office safe. <laughs> yeah. Um, also, you mentioned uh, or one of the pictures in the book. You guys are up by Kentucky Lake, and so my whole family originally is from Paducah, Kentucky, which is oh yeah, right there by Kentucky. Where are you guys at when you uh, go to Kentucky? Uh, my buddy lives in Murray. Okay, yeah. Uh, yeah, so we kind of hunt fish out around there. And um, you'd actually do a squirrel camp, huh? Yep, yep. We The first year we did it, we camped right on the shores of Lake Kentucky, or Kentucky Lake. Yeah. Um, and then uh, the last several years, he actually built a cabin kind of out there. Not like on the water, but pretty close to it. Nice. So um, conditions have, uh, have, have definitely upgraded. <laughs> yeah, so where if like um, other than – starting off by reading your book of course um if if some guy, somebody wants to get into um you know here's this maybe wants to get into trying to get into the small game world and the precision 22 or uh rim fires um you know what's a good place to start there yeah um right now like it's a it's it's an odd time because yeah. of the ammo shortage sure. you know so like there are definitely tons of guns you could get into right now that are going to be like every major manufacturer has a rifle that came out in the last three or four years. That's heads and shoulders above what was done even five years ago. Mm. Um, so I think if you want to, like, if you really wanted to get into this, whether small game hunting or NRL 22, I think you got to kind of fig figure out the ammo thing first. Yeah. And, figure out like where you can get it, what you can get. Um, and then kind of go from there and work sort of backwards into the gun. Um, I think the book, like what I tried to do with the book is sort of make like a one-stop shop. So it gets into all the ammo. There's a chapter on every rifle uh, manufacturer and what's out there. Um, and so I think, I do think like uh, that could help you. Cause like if your guy wants a, a, a small game rifle or an NRL 22 open class rifle. Like those are two different 
things. It's like a pickup truck versus an indie car. Yeah. You know? so <laughs> I think the book can help you with that. And then there's also, there's a lot of good information online. Like there's a bunch of Facebook groups that I'm in, um, like the Rimfire Tactical Group, the Precision 22 Group, lots of information in there. Um, Sniper's Hide, the Rimfire forum on Sniper's Hide is very good. Um, Rimfire Central is another forum that's that's very good. Okay. Um, but again, like that's kind of like you you you're going to go down a rabbit hole if you go there. Yeah. That was kind of the, the idea of the book was sort of like give people enough so they can make that decision to get into this, or they can just say, yeah, this is for me, and then from there jump down all the rabbit holes. Yeah. Okay. Um, so kind of last question here. Um, you know, we talked about both of us have this obsessive personality, which, um, is cool. It's a blessing and a curse. Um, but one of the, one of the kind of bad things about at least in my life, not saying for you, but, um, you tend to, I tend to kind of jump around sometimes to a lot of things and it seems a little manic to my wife, I think. Um, and I get that, but like in terms of like, there's a few things that have been constant in my whole life. And, and one has been faith and one has been outdoors hunting. And so, you know, I got it. And I feel like for you and your career, you've kind of settled into this outdoor hunting space. And, and it could be that there's different uh, rabbit holes within that, that you might go down and obsess over for a time or whatever, but it always comes back to outdoors and hunting. And for me, I think that's because there's a spiritual connection to the outdoors and to hunting. And so I'm just curious about, um, you know, what your stance is on that. If you feel like there's a connection there, what that looks like for you or, or why you feel like you've sort of settled into this outdoor space. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's a, that's a good question. I think that's a hard question, you know, like, um, I, I don't, I don't have any answers as to like, what is like the big sort of cosmic kind of next step. But I know like, uh, when I'm in the mountains or on a hunt or like committed in a white, in a whitetail stand, like I get like these moments of, um, like transcendence Mm. you know freedom like i feel like everything is right sized in the in the universe and um there's a lot of things in my life like where if i let it slip um all of a sudden like negative thinking negative attitudes you know the sort of the i don't want to say it's like darkness because it's not as bad as i think it can be for a lot of people but like i can just i just sort of feel off the beat sure right but when i'm engaged in outdoor activities when i'm exercising when i'm eating good food Mm -hmm. when i'm not like abusing substances you know like all and it's sort of like that clean living in the outdoors um that's like when I feel like my best, you know, that's like what I need. That That's the gas in the tank to write a book, to come up with a video idea, to like get into the sort of beautiful stuff of this, of this life. Um, so I, I don't know why it plugs me in that way. You know, like I know people who like are out of shape and don't hunt and play video games and eat twink, <laughs> drink whiskey and like you're fat. <laughs> And they are happy as can be and like more power to you, like no judgment, but like right. the way I'm wired, like I 
need to be engaged in, in this stuff to, to feel like myself. And, um, yeah, I'm just, I'm, I'm grateful. I found it, you know, I'm grateful. I found it. Like I'm, I'm not a, I'm not a miserable person. Like, uh, like I think so many people can be. Well said, man. Well said. Yeah. I'm with you there. Well, that's awesome, man. Um, I think we covered most of the stuff I wanted to talk to you about, but uh, I appreciate your time and definitely where can people find you if they want to check out your book or any other stuff, where's the best place to find you? Yeah. So, um, anywhere books are sold. So Amazon, uh, Barnes and Noble, like we're, it's widely distributed. Um, I'm, you can find me on IG at Michael Arche and then, uh, free range American, of course, free dot range dot American pretty much anywhere, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Um, you can check out some of the stories we're, we're doing. Um, I'm particularly happy with free range American because it's such an odd collection. We yeah. just did a post on like Mel Gibson in the new John yeah. Wick and what that means. And then we're writing about SBRs and we're writing about elk hunting. Um, so I think for, for guys like us, guys who I imagine are listening to your podcasts, I think we're kind of right in that wheelhouse. So yeah, That's it's a really I'm good mix of cool stuff on there. Definitely can waste some time on that website. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. yeah, man. All right, well, thanks again, man, for your time. I appreciate it, and uh, hopefully I'll talk to you again soon. Yeah, man, appreciate you. Thanks for having me.